Well, we will get started if everyone is ready. Uh, volume okay? Everybody here? How's the volume? Good? Good? All right. Okay. Let's uh, open with prayer. We want to pray for uh, Nyla Haynes um, and Jean Reese, Ann Johnson, Linda Beard, um, and Jenny Johnson and Charles Perry. All of those are um, have been or are currently in the hospital or going through recovery. Anybody else with a need you want us to remember this evening? Anybody else? Okay, well, good. Wonderful. Okay, we will we'll pray for Spencer. I want to pray for David Curry's brother. David, what's his first name? Paul. Paul? Okay. Um, he started with a brain bleed and has had several other um, physical issues. So keep praying for him. Anybody else with a need? Anybody else? Okay, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to gather and to study your word. And uh, we pray tonight that um, as we dive into your word together, that you would open it up to us, that we would uh, learn. And there's a lot of, lot of facts to learn, but may we go beyond that and uh, make application to our lives that will really make a lasting difference in us. And Lord, uh, before we do that, we want to lift some needs to you. And uh, we've mentioned many names tonight. We do pray for Dave's brother, Paul. God, um, we thank you for getting him to this place. And uh, while there is some improvement, that improvement uh, isn't always lasting. So we just pray that you would touch him and strengthen him tonight. And I pray, God, that he would really sense your presence. And uh, God, know that you are at work in his life. We pray for Spencer Jackson. Uh, we thank you for a good report and even for uh, what you're doing in the life of his family. Um, we pray, God, that you would continue to minister to him and bring complete healing to him. Pray for Nyla and, uh, God, that you would just uh, surround her with your presence, give her your peace. We pray for Jean Reese, uh, who had surgery today. I pray, God, that uh, his recovery would be quick and full. We pray for Ann Johnson, that her recovery from the broken hip would continue and uh, progress. We pray for Linda Beard, who God really needs your touch. And I pray, God, that uh, you would minister to her, and not only physically, but, Lord, minister to her emotionally. Uh, let her know, God, she's not alone, but that you love her and care for her. Pray for Charles Perry, uh, God, that you would minister to Charles. Uh, I know he has served you for many, many years. Just uh, bless him. Uh, God, I pray that... Uh, he would, even in this condition, uh, sense your love. And we pray for Jenny Johnson, who has been through um, so much and such a um, huge surgery. And I know, God, there's a long way to go, but I just pray that you would give her the strength and that this would be a situation, God, that would turn Jenny toward you and that she would just uh, fully uh, lean and depend on you and find strength and hope in your presence. Pray, God, that you would... Um, Teach us tonight from your word and help us to grow 
in our faith and understanding of that word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, uh, let's get started. Open your Bibles to um, 2 Kings, I think, is probably where we will go first. We're going to spend a lot of time in 2 Chronicles, but um, probably be in 2 Kings just right off, right off the bat. Actually, 1 Kings, excuse me. 1 Kings 12 will be the first text that we read, and, um, and then we will move to some other passages. Let me review real quickly. We are actually, um, so on your outlines, you're going to want to go to uh, Roman numeral 5, the southern kingdom of Judah. And we're actually going to get through this tonight. Um, be a little bit of a push, but we'll get through it. And then next week, uh, we will start with Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah. We're going to do those three together. We're going to get a little bit out of the biblical order just because Esther really fits into this time period better. But for review, kingdom of Israel, this whole, this whole teaching is on the monarchy um, from when Israel went from judges to kings. We all know the first king was Saul. And for a short period, his son uh, ruled after he died, Ishbosheth. Uh, that didn't last long. And then, of course, David was the king. And then Solomon. And with Solomon's death, there was a div- division of the kingdom. Um, the north went to Jeroboam, capital city of the north, which was called Israel. I probably need to put that on there. Um, from here on out, the north is called Israel. And Samaria is the capital city. And then Rehoboam became the king of the south, capital city, um, Jerusalem. And it will be called from here on out Judah. All right, so that's the division. Also, remember um, the south was two tribes, would have been the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, and the north would have been the other ten tribes that would be in the northern part of the region. So Kyle got you through um, the northern kingdom last week. So we're going to jump into the southern kings. Now keep in mind, there were two main reasons why the kingdom divided. The first one was kind of a natural reason, um, and, and that was that Rehoboam refused to lower taxes. Solomon had taxed high, um, and the, the Jeroboam was kind of the spokesperson for the people in the north, and he came to Rehoboam, and he said, we will serve you if you'll lower taxes um, and not be as hard on us as your father. And you remember what Rehoboam said, you think my dad was tough, I'm going to be even tougher. We're going to raise taxes, I'm going to make um, slave camps harder. And at that point, Jeroboam said, forget you, we're going to go do our own thing. And they started really what was the northern kingdom, started their own um, their own party. And Samaria was the capital city, Jeroboam was the king. And so the kingdom divided, number one, because of the taxation issue. The second was, and really this is the um, kind of the heavenly plane when the taxation was the earthly plane. But on heavenly plane, God had already said to Solomon, I'm going to judge your house and divide your kingdom because God was displeased with Solomon's idolatry. And so he'd already prophesied that. He said, it's not going to happen until your death, but it will happen. And so this is also, secondly, a fulfillment of the prophetic word of God. The southern kingdom, which is our focus tonight, um, lasted, you can see in your notes, uh, for 350 years. Um, 
There were 20 kings in all that we will talk about tonight, and 12 of those kings will reign simultaneously with kings in the north, all right? So the first 12 kings will reign at the same time that the north is still going, but then in 722 B.C., um, the northern kingdom will cease to exist, and then there will be eight more kings because the south will be the only kingdom left, all right? So that's just a little um, house-cleaning note as we get started. Um, The south is the kingdom that will always have on it um, a descendant of David because God promised that there would be someone from his family that would always be on the throne. And um, by the way, um, I said there were 20 kings and um, all of them from the family of David. There is one short period we'll talk about a little later tonight where there was actually a queen that will be on the throne and she was not a descendant of David. We'll talk about how that happens. Her name was Athaliah. We'll get to that later and then you'll be quizzed on it at 8.15, all right? So just so you know. Um, So let's talk about the first period of kings in the south. This is where our focus is going to be. And the first period uh, was a period of war, that constant battle between the south and the north, war with Israel. So here's our first text. Look at 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 21. 1 Kings 12, 21. um, It says, When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem... He assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel, that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So Rehoboam's idea was, we'll just fight and we'll take the whole thing back. That was his plan. So he assembles his, his military. But verse 22, the word of the Lord came to him through Shemaiah, the prophet, And said, tell Rehoboam, the king of Judah, the son of Solomon, um, speak to him and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people and say, you shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house for this thing is from me. Therefore, they obeyed the word of the Lord and they turned back according to the word of the Lord. So God spoke through the prophet Shemaiah and said to Rehoboam, don't do it. Don't fight. What has happened is a result of the promise or the prophecy that I made to Solomon. So you go back to your house and don't fight. And so he did not fight at that time. But then later he fought with Jeroboam throughout his reign. If you will flip over to 1 Kings 14 and verse number 30, you will read uh, this. There was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all of their days. So even though um, Rehoboam did not go immediately into battle to try to get the whole kingdom back, what ended up happening was there were skirmishes that took place, kind of uh, border skirmishes. You know, you got 10 tribes and two tribes. And so those border tribes, there were constant skirmishes, one of them trying to take a little bit more ground. That was ongoing throughout the reign of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Now that war then continues with the second king of Judah, and that is the son of Rehoboam, Abijah. 
So if you will look then in verse 31, we are in 1 Kings 14. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers, that is, he died, and he was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Namah, an Ammonitess. Then Abijam, his son, so this becomes the second king of Judah. And, and you all should have uh, this little chart that Kyle gave you as well. Uh, you may want to follow along, but you will notice right after Rehoboam, is Abijah. So that's where we are at. Um, so Abijah, his son reigned in his place. Chapter 15, 1 Kings, verse 1. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam, or Abijah became king over Judah. He reigned three years. His mother's name was Makkah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. But for David's sake, um, God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. But David, but because David, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah. The Hittite. Verse 6, and there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Again, it says, all the days of his life. In other words, their families continued to fight. So this war continued um, even with Abijah, the second king reigning. There continued to be war going on between uh, the northern and the southern kingdom. Um, Abijah continued what his father did. He led them into idolatry. Interesting, I just read the verse. You will see this several times, and I've made a point of this before. But um, God blessed the southern kingdom, not because the southern kings were always great, but because he had made a promise to David. And David had been faithful. And, and you remember I made the point a few weeks ago, there is really something to be said for the prayers of grandparents and parents. Uh, even when their kids aren't where they need to be, God honors those prayers of grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents. And uh, we see that in the descendants of David. So both Rehoboam and Abijah continued to lead the people into idolatry. After Abijah, the third king of the south uh, would be Asa. He would reign for uh, 41 years now I need you to turn to Second Chronicles, and we will probably spend most of our evening in Second Chronicles now. So go to Second Chronicles 15, Second Chronicles 15, and um, I, I'm not going to write all of these up here, but after Rehoboam was Abijah, and after Abijah was um, Asa. This is the king that we are looking at now. Um, he reigned from 910 to 869. And it is under his reign that a little bit of spiritual renewal begins. Look at Second Chronicles 15. The Spirit of God came up on Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa. And he said to, me, said to him, hear me, Asa, and all of Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest and without law. But when they were in trouble, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him and he was found by them. 
And in those times there was no peace to one who went out, nor to the one who came in, but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the land. So nation was destroyed by nation, city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you be strong, and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words, and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage. And he removed the idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord God was with him. And they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year of the reign of Asa. And they offered to the Lord at that time... 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep. They entered into a covenant in verse 12 to seek the Lord God with all their heart. Verse 13, whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death. Verse 14, they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice and shouting trumpets and ram's horns. And all of Judah rejoiced at the oath for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them and the Lord gave them rest all around. Also, he removed Makah, the mother of Asa, the king, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image and crushed and burned it by the brook Kidron. He even confronted his mother. But the high places were not removed from Israel. This was his one downfall. He got rid of the altars but not and the idols, but not the high places. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all of his days He also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated silver and gold and utensils. And there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. So Asa uh, renewal began under him and um, things started to turn in the right direction. Things looked better. But at the end of Asa's life, and this is one of the things you'll find, it's kind of a cycle uh, with the southern kings, is as good as they were, there seems to almost always be some, some downfall in them as well. As a matter of fact, one of the things that doesn't happen every time but happens too frequently is that we see the southern kings start off really good in their spiritual renewal, but at the end of their days, they turn away from God. Just a quick little application point. It is not all that important how quickly we come out of the gate spiritually and all the great things we do. It's how well we finish. That's what's really important. And um, I I take that very seriously even in the ministry. I've been in the ministry for 34 years, but it's not about those 34 years. It's still about how one finishes. And Asa started strong. But we'll see at the end of his days, he he ended very poorly. Look at chapter 16 now. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah. So Basha's the king over here, and he comes up, or he confronts Judah. And he built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, the king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house. And he sent to Ben-Hadad, 
the king of Syria, who dwelled in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So a little pressure is put on from the north toward the south, and there is war going on. And Asa, instead of seeking God, remember what the word said, if you'll seek me, you'll find me. That's what the prophet told him when he started. But instead of seeking God, he consults Ben-Hadad, who was the king of Syria. And he says, look, I'll give you some money. I'll bribe you. If you'll protect me, break your treaty with Basha. I'll give you more money than Basha gave you. And we will be in an alliance instead. And so instead of trusting God, Asa decided he would trust Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. So we get then to verse 7 of chapter 16. And at that time, Hanani, the seer or the prophet, he came to Asa, the king of Judah, and he said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. In other words, God said, I was going to give you Syria for, for yourself, but they've now escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. He's taking him back. Before, you defeated these big armies because you trusted God. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have war. So the prophet says to Asa, Asa, you messed up. I've been with you before. God has delivered you before from larger armies than the Syrians and the the Israelites. But because you trusted Ben-Hadad instead of me, you're going to have war all the rest of your life. That's what Hanani said to him, the prophet. Asa was angry, verse 10, with the prophet. And he throws him in prison because he's enraged at him because of this. And and, and then Asa even oppressed people at that time. Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And notice verse 12, And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physician. See a pattern here? He's lost that passion to seek God. Remember what the prophet had said to him right off the bat, If you will seek me, you will find me. And Asa did that. But now, instead of seeking the Lord... In war, he seeks an alliance with an ungodly king. And now, instead of seeking God, he seeks the physicians and he dies. Verse 13, he rests with his fathers and he died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients, prepared in a mixture of ointments. And they made a very great burning uh, for him. So Asa's... um, reign ends very poorly. It ends with dying of a disease. It ends with a rebuke of the prophet. It ends with him oppressing the people. Again, it's not how well we start. It's, it's how we finish. And, and what, what a key lesson to learn about trust. Um, he started off trusting God, but at some point, and we don't know what it was, but at some point in his rule and his reign, he shifted his trust from God 
and, and put his trust in another king or put his trust in the physicians and instead of really trusting the God that had got him to that point. Um, I don't know what happens with Christian people, but we do the same thing. We uh, start off and we trust God. We trust God especially when we're just starting and we don't have that much and, and God blesses us. But somehow we get a little full of ourselves along the way and uh, we, we lose that connection with God and no longer trust him. That's what Asa did. And Asa's ending was not nearly as stellar as his beginning was. There's a great lesson for uh, us to learn. Matter of fact, I, I said this this morning. It, it's fun. I don't know. If it's fun for me. I don't know if it's fun for you. I like this king stuff and seeing how all the stories go. That's fun. And there's lots of facts, lots of things to learn. But more than anything, we need to learn principles and lessons that we can take and apply to our life. And here, the big one is, it's not how, how well you start. It's how you finish that really matters. So uh, Asa's kingdom comes to an end. And it begins in a second period of uh, the monarchy in the south. And this is a period of time, about 75 years, where there are some political alliances made. The next king is Jehoshaphat. You probably have heard sermons about Jehoshaphat. He reigns after Asa. He reigns for 25 years. He led the nation in some very strong spiritual practices and disciplines. One of the things that Jehoshaphat did is he sent priests um, out into the land. See, Jehoshaphat knew, this is important, he knew that um, if there was not teaching going on in all of the villages and in all the areas, that before long, the next generation would grow up and not know the things of God. That, by the way, was the warning of Moses. Remember, he said, impress these things on your children. Talk about them when you're walking. Talk about them when you're eating dinner, when you're going to bed. Impress those things so they can tell their children. That's the way it's supposed to work. By the way, that's the way it's still supposed to work. And Jehoshaphat knew we don't even have priests everywhere. So there's no teaching going on. So he wanted some reform to take place. And so he sends out priests into all the land. One of the great things that Jehoshaphat did. When he was attacked by other nations. Second Chronicles 20, turn there. One of my favorite, favorite stories. And what a, what a contrast between Jehoshaphat and his father. When his father is going to be attacked, Asa, he makes an alliance with another king. Second, Kings, or Second Chronicles 20, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites... They came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then someone came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, there's a great multitude that's coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared, but notice what he didn't do. He didn't go make an alliance with another king. He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And he gathered together to ask, he got, so Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah, and they came to seek the Lord. If you read on in Second Chronicles 20, one of the greatest stories, one of the greatest, most beautiful prayers, Jehoshaphat prays. And, and there's this text in Second Chronicles 20. I, I use it sometimes for child dedications. Um, it says that all of Judah came out, the men, the women, and the children. 
They didn't keep the children in the tents. They wanted the children to see God is going to do something big. And it's so important that our young people see that God still works, that he still does miraculous things. He still changes people's lives. And so they all came out and Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat is afraid. He he feared, but he didn't make an alliance with another king. As a matter of fact, he finally says to God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And the people of God um, placed their eyes on Yahweh and trusted him under the leadership of Jehoshaphat. And because of that, God brought them this incredible victory. That's the kind of leader we should all want. Not, not necessarily one who's never afraid and is oblivious to trials and, and battles, but one who, when there are battles, doesn't try to figure it out himself or draw some secular alliance, but who says, we're going to seek God together and we're going to trust God who brought us this far to get us through it. That's exactly what Jehoshaphat did. Sadly, um, Jehoshaphat also had some downsides in his leadership. One of the things you may remember Kyle taught you this last week was he made an alliance with Ahab, who was the most wicked king who ever ruled on the north side. Um, Now, one of the reasons or one of the parts of that alliance was Jehoshaphat gave his son, born and bred in the south, to be the groom of Ahab's daughter. And uh, her name was Athaliah. She will come into play in just a little while. And so um, this unholy wedding that takes place, this um, fellowship between light and darkness, if you will, really becomes the downfall of Jehoshaphat. Athaliah, we'll talk about it in a few minutes, will later become a ruthless queen who will wipe out Jehoshaphat's family. The priests confront Jehoshaphat about his alliances, but he persists with them. I mean, what's he going to say? His son's married to Ahab's daughter, and so he continues with those alliances. As a matter of fact, there is one story, I think Kyle told you this one last week too, where they actually go to battle together. And Jehoshaphat and Ahab are in the chariot together. And of course, Ahab gets the sword that, that, that kills him. And they, um, they, Jehoshaphat survives, but Ahab is, is killed in that war with Syria. Uh, he made even bad alliances after that. Look at Second Chronicles 20, uh, verse 35. Um, after this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied or allied himself with Ahaziah, who was the king of Israel. So even after Ahab died, he continued that alliance, and he acted very wickedly, and he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. They made the ships in Ezion-Geber, but Eliezer, uh, the son of Dobadah of Mereshah, prophesied, against Jehoshaphat saying, because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. And the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. So God said, I'll put an end to that alliance. And he destroyed the ships. But Jehoshaphat, godly king, made some great reforms, but 
failed to keep himself separate uh, from the ungodly north, and those alliances cost him dearly. We move on then. Jehoshaphat dies in um, 848 B.C. Look at Second Chronicles 21 and verse 1. Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers, and he was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And now look who reigns. It is Jehoram, his son, who reigns in his place. Now, Jehoram becomes king. Jehoram is married to whom? Remember? Athaliah, right. He is married to, so he's the king of Judah, married to the former. I think Ahab may be gone at this time because Jehoshaphat made a covenant with the next king after Ahab died. But he is married to the most wicked king of the north's daughter, um, Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. So, um, so he becomes king. And uh, look at verse 2. Jehoram becomes king. Now, let me just warn you before we get into the story. One of the frustrating things or the difficult things about reading the Old Testament, uh, especially the Kings and the Chronicles, um, sometimes it happens, and it does here, within the books. Um, but it often happens, like when we get to um, King Uzziah. King Uzziah was the one that in Isaiah 6, when Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. King Uzziah is called Uzziah in Chronicles. He's called Azariah in the Kings, all right? So that, that becomes a little complicated. And sometimes their names... Well, the, the, you'll do well on the quiz. I, I promise you, Rebecca, you'll do well. Um, um, and Joash is also called um, Jehoash, and it's kind of back and forth. So it gets really confusing. Um, you almost need, well, I write some of this up there. But anyway, that's going to be a little bit of an issue even with this story. But nevertheless, and, and by the way, some of that is because they had several names. For instance... Um, we know um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they also all have other names as well. Uh, and, and so those, those are just easier for us uh, to pronounce. And so those are the names we go with, but all the names are in Scripture right in the text. And so um, that makes it a little bit confusing to piece this together, but uh, that's just my... That's my uh, um, little warning before we get into this. So Jehoram reigns, all right, in verse 1 of chapter 21. He had brothers, other sons of Jehoshaphat. Those brothers were Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azarihu, Michael, and Sheftahiah. All these were sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Let me finish the statement that I started a minute ago. When you get older, I guess you start sentences and you don't finish them. Let me finish what I started. One of the reasons is they have multiple names. Another reason sometimes simply is um, Hebrew. You've heard me say this before, but Hebrew script had um, no vowels, only consonants. um, And they were written backwards. All right. And um, this is translated or copied by hand, and then later um, the Masorites came in and they put vowels in, and some and and then it gets copied 
by hand. And so there are times that some of the names are even a little off because a little vowel added in the Hebrew later, if one added this vowel and one added another vowel or one thought he had that vowel and one thought it was this vowel, the names get a little funky sometimes. So that's, that's also part of the, the issue. And then you put it into English and it really becomes a mess. So that's, that's what we've got. So anyway, has these brothers, verse three, their father, which was Jehoshaphat, gave them all gifts. He put them all in the will. I'm going to make this as simple as I can. They're all in the will, but he gave Jehoram the kingdom because he was the firstborn. So when Jehoram gets established, he gets his office set up, but he's all set up in the palace. He wants to strengthen himself. He doesn't really like the fact. And keep in mind, no doubt, he is being pushed by his wife, Athaliah, who wants to make sure they get a lock on this whole thing. Think about this. Um, If they can get a lock on the south, she's already got a lock on the north. And so she pushes her husband. We're going to blame it on the woman. The text doesn't say that, but I'm going to assume that she pushed him a little bit. Um, And because she was, by the way, probably like her mother, you know who her mother would have been? Jezebel. Exactly. Right. So she comes from a long line of pushy, you know, what I'm talking about. All right. So anyway, um, he kills all of his brothers with the sword and also all the others of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for eight years. All right. So he wipes out the rest of the family. Okay. Um, he walked in the way, verse 6, of the kings of Israel. Well, no kidding, he's married to the most wicked king of Israel's wife, just as the house of Ahab had done, for he had the daughter of Ahab as his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and do his sons forever. Um, so th- there is this little um, pointer here, that while the story looks like the house of David has been destroyed, God would not let that happen, all right? In his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority. Anybody know who the Edomites descended from? Esau, right, the brother of Jacob, all right? So this is all in the line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, the Edomites. So they're right there. They're part of the territory. But the Edomites don't like the rule of Jehoram. And so they revolt against Judah's authority. And so Jehoram goes out with chariots and he attacks the Edomites um, and, and who had surrounded him, verse 10 Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. And at that time, Libna revolted against his rule because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. He made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to to commit harlotry. And he led Judah astray. So there is this um, revolt that's going on because for all practical purposes, he's just another northern king leading the southern kingdom. The Edomites want out. The people of Libna want out. This is, this is all looking like Ahab's family. And so they want out. All right. Now, this is where the story uh, gets even a little bit more confusing. Go to chapter 21 and verse 16. Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines 
and the Arabians who were near the Ethiopians. And they came up into Judah and invaded it and carried away all the possessions that were found in the king's house and also his sons, Jehoram's sons and his wives, so that there was not left a son to him, look, except Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. After all this, um, the Lord, I can read this to you. I couldn't read it in the morning because they hadn't had lunch yet. Your supper's already over. After this, the Lord struck him in his intestines with an incurable disease. And it happened in the course of time after the end of two years that his intestines came out because of his sickness. So he died in severe pain and his people made no burning for him like the burning of the fathers. He was 32 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem eight years and, and what a sad thing. And to no one's sorrow um, departed. He died and no one was sad about it. Uh, however, they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Okay, so all of Jehoshaphat's sons are killed except Jehoram. Jehoram is married to Athaliah. All of Jehoram's sons are killed except Jehoahaz. All right. Keep that in mind. Rebecca, I'm going to come back to you and ask you that name. Okay. You're ready for this. All right. Just kidding. All right. Let, let me write it on the board. Um, Jehoshaphat had a bunch of sons. That's what you do when you don't know how to spell a word. You write it so sloppy. I really do know how to spell it. I just got carried away. Jehoshaphat had a bunch of sons, but they all were killed except Jehoram who is married to Athaliah. All right? Then there is this invasion where all of Jehoram's sons are wiped out except one, Jehoahaz. All right? So the the throne of David is hanging on by a string. That's what I want you to see. This is the only one left. Now we're going to get some of those details um, filled in now here in just a moment. Um, Second Chronicles 22 and verse 1. Um, this is where the names get confusing. Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah a.k.a. Jehoahaz, um, his youngest son, king in his place. For the raiders who came in with the Arabians into the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Ahaziah was 42 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, or Omri was the father of Ahab. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother advised him to do wickedly. Therefore, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. Now, in um, 21... And verse 11, he pressures Judah into idolatry. Um, Ahaziah followed when his father died a horrible death. 
um, Athaliah actually took the throne um, when he died. When, so when Azariah dies, Athaliah takes the throne for a short period of time. She reigns for six years and she begins her reign. Go to 22 8. Uh, it happened when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab. And he found the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers who served Ahaziah that he killed them. Then he searched for Ahaziah and they caught him. He was hiding in Samaria and he brought him to Jehu. When they killed him, they buried him because they said he is the son of Jehoshaphat who sought the Lord with all his heart. So the house of Ahaziah had no one to assume power over the kingdom. And that's when Athaliah... The mother of Ahaziah saw that her son was dead. She rose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. So she wipes, she thinks, everybody else out. And she's now on the throne. So now, look what happens. Now you've got a monopoly. You've got uh, Athaliah on the throne in the south. And her family members, still Ahab's descendants on the throne in the north, and, and the dynasty, you remember Kyle talked about this, the dynasty would be the dynasty of Omri. Omri was the father of Ahab. And so this is now, you've got their family for a short period ruling both the north and the south. However, chapter 22, verse 11, uh, this is the fun part. But um, Jehoshabeth, who was the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. So when Athaliah is killing all the sons, um, the daughter of Ahaziah, Ahaziah is already dead, she takes the youngest one and she hides him. And she puts him and his nurse in a bedroom. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, and the wife of Jehoiada, remember that name. <laughs> I guess that's funny. Remember that name. Jehoiada, the priest, um, hid him from Athaliah so she didn't kill him. She killed all the rest, but um, Jeho, um, which one did you? Joash, the son, has been saved. The baby living in a bedroom with the nurse. And he was hidden with them in the house of God for six years, while Athaliah reigns. So for six years, this monopoly is going on. I've got these flipped around, but Athaliah is leading in the south and another descendant of Ahab leading in the north. For six years, they have, they have a monopoly on the whole thing. And then we get to um, chapter 23. In the seventh year of Jehoiada, he is a priest. He's not a king. Jehoiada is a priest. In the seventh year of Jehoiada, he strengthened himself. And he made a covenant with the captains of hundreds. And then there's a whole bunch of names listed. And they go, verse 2, throughout Judah. And they gather the Levites and all the cities of Judah. And they all come to Jerusalem. And then all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And he said to them, behold, the king's son shall reign as the Lord has said of the sons of David. 
I, I won't read the whole chapter for the sake of time, but here's what happens. They make Joash, who is seven years old, Jehoiada said, enough of this wickedness ruling. We are, we're going to, it's really a, a spiritual coup. He gets all the fathers together, spiritual fathers, all the Levites, all the priests. And they say, Jehoiada says, we've got to make a move here. We're being ruled by a wicked queen. And God has said, it's always going to be a descendant of David. And so that day, if you read on, you will find that they make Joash seven years old, but a descendant of David, the one that got hidden in the bedroom and cared for by a nurse when Athaliah thought she had wiped them all out. Joash becomes the king of, of, of Judah. Now, the question is, how could a seven-year-old um, rule a kingdom? And the answer is Jehoiada was the godly priest. He was really the, the kingpin. He's the one that's really keeping um, the bearings in the people of Judah. Second Kings 12 and verse 2, you don't have to turn there, but it says that Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all of the days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. So as, in other words, as long as Joash had Jehoiada, he would do the godly thing. Even though he was seven when he started, he totally depended on Jehoiada and he did what Jehoiada said to do. During his time, he restored temple worship. He collected offerings to pay for repair. But after Jehoiada died, you can read this in Second Chronicles 24, 17 through 22, they slipped into rebellion. Um, Joash is still young. Jehoiada is gone. There are now other manipulators and controllers that say, we want to take Judah in another way. And they lead them into idolatry and uh, into an alliance with Syria. And it ultimately destroys the leadership of Joash. And though he starts well, because he has the backing and the leadership of Jehoiada the priest, he ends up himself faltering as well. Look at, um, go back to 2 Chronicles 24. 2 Chronicles 24. And look at um, verse number 20. Um, now look at verse 17. This describes this whole period. After the death of Jehoiada, that's the priest, the leaders of Judah came and they bowed down before the king. That's King Joash. And he listened to them. Therefore, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers, and they served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. God sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they wouldn't listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah. All right, now, let me just give you a quick little lesson. Jehoiada was the priest that got them back on track. His, he's, he is now... Um, dead, but Zechariah is his son. Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, who stood above the people, said to them, Thus saith the Lord God, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you can't prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he's also forsaken you. And notice what happens. They conspire against him. At the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Joash did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada, his father, had done to him, but he killed his son 
And as he died, his son said, the Lord look on it and repay. Now, that's a pretty amazing story. This is a guy that had to start at the age of seven and would have never been anything had it not been for Jehoiada, who led this kingdom into prosperity and godliness. And when he dies, he listens instead to these other counselors. And when Zechariah, the son of the man who trained him and mentored him, when he pleads with him to turn back to God, Joash has him stoned and killed. And so Joash's, uh, his rule also uh, ends horribly, which leads us, and we're going to move through these others rather quickly. It leads us to the third period, 75 years of war. And the first king in this section is uh, King Amaziah. He is the son of Joash. Uh, He reigned 29 years He reigned from 796 to 767. Five years of those, he reigned alone. 24 of those years, he was uh, a co-regent with his father, King Uzziah, who will come into play in just a moment. He began well also, but did not end well. He destroyed the peaceful relationship that at that time existed uh, with Israel, and his pride actually brought Judah to its lowest point to that date. Second Chronicles 26 and verse 1, So then the people of Judah take Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. I already mentioned to you, Uzziah is called Azariah in Second Kings. You don't have to bother with that tonight, but, but just so you know. He reigned with his father, as I said, in Amaziah, his father Amaziah in 79, 791. And King Uzziah actually uh, ruled for 52 years. He led um, Judah to restoration. He brought back a good relationship with Israel, who is now, their king is now Jeroboam II. And so King Uzziah and Jeroboam II had a good relationship. Uzziah rebuilt the army. He restored prosperity. And at first, he depended upon God for his strength. Um, in Second Chronicles 26, look at verse 5. Speaking of Isaiah, he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who was a prophet, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, he made him to prosper. But if you look at verse 16 of chapter 26, when he was strong... This happens way too often. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Won't take time to read it, but if you read um, chapter 26, verses 17 through 23, King Uzziah goes into the temple and he offers incense. What was wrong with that? He wasn't a priest, but he was proud. He went in, he was confronted by the priest. You can read this story. And he was so angry that he waved his censer at them. And as soon as he did, leprosy broke out on his forehead. And ultimately he was kicked out of the temple because he was a leper and uh, he died a leper. His body was covered with leprosy and he died. Uh, The death of Isaiah is the context For Isaiah 6, you've heard this 
text before. This is Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And he, he goes on to describe, above it stood the seraphims, each having six wings. With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they did fly. And they cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post uh, of the, the, the doors, post doors moved at the voice of him that spoke. And Isaiah, that's when Isaiah says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst uh, of an unclean people. There are those who think, and this may be, too much conjecture, but there are those that think that Isaiah had such a relationship with King Uzziah that his relationship with Uzziah had almost become stronger than his relationship with God. And so it took the death of Uzziah for Isaiah to get his eyes focused again. The word also in the Hebrew, also to us, sounds like Kevin and also Kyle are here, just like they're, they're equal but the word also in Hebrew actually has more of a, a prior to, prioritization to it. We just don't have a word for it. It would be more like in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw instead or above the Lord. Almost as if until Isaiah had died, his priorities were wrong. And he has this great vision, Isaiah 6. That's a whole another lesson and another day. But that's the, con- the death of King Uzziah is the context for the vision of Isaiah. Um, Jotham, then, is the next king. He is co-regent with his father, Uzziah, for 10 years until his father dies. Look at chapter 27 now. In verse 1, Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerashah, the daughter of Zadok, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Isaiah had done. But what he didn't do was enter the temple like Isaiah had done. But all the people still acted corruptly. So Jotham was a godly king, but he had no influence. The people at this point, look, at this point, they're already on a, down, a downward spiral. The, the king at this point is not going to make a whole lot of difference until uh, King Josiah comes along. Following Jotham is Ahaz, the son of Jotham. Uh, 28.1, Ahaz, this is 2 Chronicles 28.1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. He began reigning in 735, but he engaged in idolatry. Um, he befriended Assyria. You may remember, I think Kyle probably told you this story last week. Uh, Pekah was the king of Israel. This is in your notes. And Rezin was the king of Syria. And they joined forces against Assyria. But Ahaz refused uh, to join those forces. And so they turned on Ahaz as well. Isaiah comes to Ahaz and he encourages him to do the right thing. And, and Isaiah said, listen, I'll even give you a sign. God will give you a sign. He said, I don't want any sign from God. And that's when Ahaz says, he's going to give you a sign anyone. But anyway, behold, a virgin shall conceive. That's Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Um, but Ahaz refused the covenant. And he turned to Assyria for help 
instead of God. Uh, Ahaz became steeped in idolatry. Um, in Look at 28, 2 Chronicles 28, look at verse 24. One of the things that Ahaz did, he gathered the articles of the house of God. He cut them into pieces uh, and he shut the doors of the temple, the house of the Lord. And he made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. Um, so Ahaz is a wicked king and he does that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. Let me uh, put Ahaz's name here because he is also important in that at the end of his reign, the north ceases to be. Um, They are wiped out. It's 722 B.C. This is when the Assyrians march in and they destroy the north. So from here on out, after 722, the only thing that is left of what was once the kingdom that David ruled is the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin that we call Judah or the south, all right? That's as of 722 B.C. So let's now talk about this period of time, 722 to 586. These are the last eight kings of Judah. And this is the surviving kingdom. Hezekiah is the first one. He is the son of Ahaz. Hezekiah um, began ruling in 716. He ruled for 29 years. He led the nation in restored righteousness. Read sometime, we won't do it tonight, 2 Chronicles 29. His first month, um, Hezekiah's first month, he did amazing things in turning the people back toward God. He built up the army. One of the... um, one of the amazing things that Hezekiah did, I'm not sure when, if you'll see it says 1,777 feet of solid rope. It's not rope. Um, but one of the things that Hezekiah did, when, when, um, when a nation would try to take another nation, that they had walled, they, they had walls around their nations. Um, Jerusalem had walls around Jerusalem the walls that will get torn down that Nehemiah will build later. Um, but the, the way that a nation would take them is they would come in and they would just camp around the walls so the people couldn't go out and they couldn't go out and get water and they would eventually have to surrender. Hezekiah built a 1,777-foot tunnel underneath the walls that the enemy couldn't see to pull fresh water out of the pool of Siloam so that the people would always have fresh water. That's in the Bible. But not only is in that, that in the Bible, that is a historical fact. Kyle went to Israel when he was at Indiana Wesley, and he walked in what was in Hezekiah's tunnel. If you've ever been to Israel, you may have done that. 1,777 feet that engineers today can't figure out how they did it. But they built this tunnel, and so they could just they could hole up in there for a while. And, and it became uh, a really frustrating thing to kingdoms that were trying to besiege them. So that was one of his great feats is uh, the tunnel that brought fresh water from the pool of Siloam. Um, he encouraged the people in the Lord. Can, can you look at Second Chronicles 32? I, I just want to read you these verses. Um, this is what you want a leader to say when things aren't going well. Uh, look at verse 7. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude is with him. For there are more with us 
than with him. With him is the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help and fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah. This man stepped up to the plate and said, I know that's a big army, and I know they look huge, but I'm telling you, all they have is the arm of the flesh, and we, very much like David did with Goliath. You come to me with a sword and a shield and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That's what Hezekiah did. In 701, and we are moving on, this is number seven in the notes. In 701 BC, Sennacherib uh, captured some cities in Judah, and he demanded surrender. And Isaiah encouraged Hezekiah to trust God, and that's exactly what he did. That statement comes out of that time. I know they're big, but they're just the arm of the flesh. And he, he led the people to trust God. They prayed, and God sent an angel that killed 185,000 Assyrians. Hezekiah became sick. Uh, he called on God, and God added 15 years to his life. The only, the only big fault of Hezekiah is when he got well, um, the princes from Babylon came to visit him and they brought him gifts. And they showed up at the palace and Hezekiah said, let me show you around the palace. And let me show you through the temple. And he wasn't doing it because he wanted to bring glory to God. He was doing it because he was prideful. And um, the prophet came to him and rebuked him for what he had done. It was Isaiah. And he said, you've been puffed up. That was a prideful move and God is displeased with you. And uh, so that was really the only uh, kind of black mark on Hezekiah's leadership. But at his death, he was honored. Second Kings 18, 5. Uh, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him, none was like him among all the kings of Judah nor before him. He's followed by his son, Manasseh. Let me get through this. He was an evil uh, king. He began ruling in 696. He ruled for 55 years. 12 with his father. Um, he was evil like his grandfather Ahaz. He was, he goes down as the most wicked king of Judah, committed some atrocities, walked people through the fire, killed babies. Manasseh was a very ungodly king. Interestingly, he was captured and actually repented. Second Chronicles 33, um, he actually repented um, after he had been captured. His son, Amon, followed him and reigned only two years before his own family killed him. Um, Second Chronicles 33, you can read that, verses 20 through 25. He was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years, but he did evil, and then he was killed by his own family. He was followed by a good king, Josiah. Uh, Josiah began reigning at the age of eight, um, he reigned for 31 years. At the age of 16, uh, Josiah began seeking the Lord. And at age 20, he led the people of God back toward God uh, and led a campaign to restore and repair the temple. Really interesting story. Read the story of Josiah sometime. Josiah wants to just clean up. Remember, um, Ahaz had shut the door to it. And, um, and, and so... Josiah wants to restore and kind of clean it up. And so they start cleaning it up. And um, lo and behold, they find copies of the law. 
And uh, the, the secretary, whose name was Shaphan, comes to Josiah and he says, listen to this. And he reads him the law. Josiah hadn't heard the law. And Josiah begins to weep. And he said, we need to tell everybody about this. And so they bring everybody together and they read the law to everyone. And uh, the people repent and they lament and they weep over their sin. And there is restoration that begins. But they had fallen so far that they were beyond the point of return. And the prophetess Huldah actually spoke to Josiah and warned him, this is good, restoration has come, but you're already over the edge Judgment's going to come to the house. It will be just after your death. And so in Second Chronicles 35, Josiah dies. And we get to the last three kings of Judah. Um, Josiah had three sons. All three of them ruled at, at some point, but they all failed. The first one was Jehoahaz, also known as Shalom. He only lasted three months. Um, before he was deposed by Necho of Egypt when Necho demanded taxes. Now, keep in mind, remember, Assyria was the world power that toppled the northern kingdom. Egypt was also uh, a, a rising world power. The big one is Babylon that will come in just a minute. Um, but, but Egypt is putting pressure on Judah. They are weakened now because of their ungodliness. They're losing territory. And really... Um, Judah is just kind of their, their subservient to Egypt. Egypt says, we'll let you be autonomous and we'll give you a king. We'll appoint him. We'll give you a king, but you're going to pay taxes. Well, he tried to resist those taxes and he is deported. And so Nico makes his brother, Jehoiakim, places him on the throne. And uh, four years later, then Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon is getting great. He defeats Nico the Egyptians, and he takes over, or at least he comes in and besieges Judah. This is when, and steals things from the temple. This is when Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken back to Babylon. But still, Jerusalem is intact. They've just lost people. They've lost riches, but they're still intact. They're still on their own. And, um, and so Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim is the king but he rebels, and uh, he was killed, and his son, Jehoiachin, becomes king. But he only reigns for three months, and he surrenders then to Nebuchadnezzar in 597 when Nebuchadnezzar invades the second time. Uh, you may want to keep these dates in mind if you want to know the history. Um, these are the three Babylon took over Judah with three attacks. The first one was a small one, 605. That's when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went. The second one is in 597 that I'm telling you about right now. And that is when um, uh, Jehoiachin surrenders. Um, and then Nebuchadnezzar makes Mataniah, who is Josiah's youngest son king, and he changes his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah becomes the last king of Judah in Jerusalem, but he is only a puppet king for 11 years from 597 to 586. And in 586, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon march into Jerusalem and they finish them off. And they destroy the walls and they destroy the city and the southern kingdom 
is no more. They carry them into uh, captivity where they will be for 70 years um, based on what had been prophesied uh, and Judah ceased to exist and the people are in exile. Let me tell you one last thing and I'll be done. Um, It's not in your notes, but it's an interesting little thing that will help you maybe read the New Testament just a little bit better or understand it a little bit more. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. Tell me, who are the people in the New Testament that the Jews can't get along with? Who are, who are the, they, they hate one another. They have no dealings with the Samaritans, right? You, you, how many times do we read that? And then you, remember the woman at the well at Samaria? says to Jesus, you are a Jew. You're asking me for a drink of water. Okay. So why do the Jews and the Samaritans hate one another? Just get this real quickly. What was the capital city of the North? Samaria, right? Capital city of the South was Jerusalem. In 722, when Assyria took over the North, the Assyrians had a real strange way of doing things. They would come into a country and they would take a bunch of people out, but they would leave some people. And then they would go to one of the countries like Egypt, where they had already defeated people. They'd take some of those Egyptians, and they would bring them to Israel. And then they would go to Ethiopia, and they would get some Ethiopians, and they would bring them to Israel. And they would repopulate a land that they controlled with different nationalities. So what, what happens? If you're a Jew, and you're in the north, and the only girl on your block is an Egyptian, you marry the Egyptian, right? And that happens time and time and time again for about 250 years. And so by the time, by the time that Judah gets to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, and that's when Nehemiah, we'll talk about Nehemiah in the next couple of weeks, Nehemiah goes back. When they go back and they want to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls, you know who wants to help them? The Samaritans. But what are the Jews? And Sanballat and Tobiah, you'll read about them in Nehemiah, are Samaritans, and they want to help. And the Jews say, huh, you're not helping. Why didn't they want him to help? Because they are now, in their minds, mixed breeds. They are not pure Jews. And they did, so the Samaritans said, fine, we'll build our own. And so we're going to go on top of the mountain. Remember the Samaritan woman? Our fathers say the mountain is the place to worship. You say Jerusalem, which is it? That's where that came from because when they wouldn't let them help rebuild, they just built their own. So by the time we get to the New Testament, they hated one another. But Jesus ministered to the Samaritan woman. Uh, The Samaritan leper was the only one that thanked Jesus for healing them. And we get to the book of Acts and day of Pentecost, um, the people in Jerusalem are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we get to Acts chapter 8 and the Samaritans are filled with the Holy Spirit. So in just a moment, that which had been, this, this happened this happened in the five and six hundreds. That hatred developed. So for half a millennium, there that was that hatred. But in one work of the Holy Spirit, they came into the family of God. And that division that had been for years was totally done away with. Sometimes we can't do the restoration, but the Holy Spirit can. And that's, that's a powerful truth. I've kept you over. Thank you for your patience. We'll just forego the test tonight because you've all been so good. So thank you so much. See you.